Um, and that, that's pretty good. We started back uh, in May of 2022. So uh, we, we, we haven't certainly run uh, the race. Uh, the, uh, it wasn't a drag race. It was more of a, 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 a turtle race. But we, um, I've really enjoyed refreshing my memory about Last time I taught this was 20 years ago, so uh, I've really enjoyed refreshing my memory of the, some of the truths that are in God's Word, and it's been an encouragement. And, and this, the chapter two is one of the more significant chapters in Scripture as far as explaining who Christ is and what He's done for us. So um, let's have a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll. Uh, Steve will read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 after we pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to fellowship around your word. We thank you, Lord, for this book that you had uh, Paul write that has so much about who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and now lives at your right hand and is, um, has actually has a, has a place for us, as we'll see uh, later on in, in, in our lesson. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless each one that's here. We pray for those that can't be here and those that are home. Pray for those that are sick and hurting. We pray for those that are unable to join us. And we pray that you would be with each one and encourage them pray that this book would be a great blessing to us as we continue on the second uh, on verses uh, chapters three and four and uh, those verses we pray that uh, you would be with our church and the uh, service to follow in Jesus name we pray amen so if you'll turn to Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 Steve's going to uh, read those for us thank you Steve if then, uh, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things on earth. Uh, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Amen. Thank you. Um, Chapters, I'm going to review. We got down to page two and item uh, B1, but I'm going to review. I'm not going to go through all the quotes, but I want to review because it's so important to realize we're starting on the practical section. And if you see in the handout, introduction, chapter one and two of Colossians, Paul made strong doctrinal statements emphasizing the supremacy of Christ, his superiority, his sufficiency, uh, and he did that to counter heresy and false teaching. And he stated the deity of Christ. He also expressed his concern over the spiritual well-being of the Colossians because they were being uh, influenced by uh, false teachers. And he warned them of errors 
of the false teachers, such as being easily influenced, philosophy, legalism, angel worship, mysticism, asceticism, and he encouraged them to keep following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to use this verse several times, Colossians 1.10. He encouraged them and exhorted them to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's Colossians 1.10. They were not to become enslaved. And you remember that passage, Colossians 2.8. Beware, lest any man spoil you. That word is a strong word for like a pirate kidnapping a person and taking them away for ransom and bringing them into captivity. And that's the metaphor that he used that, uh, that the false teachers could spoil them or kidnap them and take them away like a pirate takes away treasure and their rating, and spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or elements of the world, and not after Christ. So he gave a strong warning about uh, not being enslaved by the false teaching of the heretics. And they were to be being dead with Christ to the world and its teachings, they were to not revert or go back to them as if they were living in the world. Colossians 2.20 says, Wherefore, that if there is sense, wherefore, since ye be dead, Christ, from the rudiments and elements of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, verse 20 and 21, which we went through a couple of weeks ago. So, he gives them those warnings and he gives strong doctrinal truth. He tells them what we believe, the truth, doctrine. And now in chapters three and four, he's shifting from uh, doctrine. He's shifting to a practical emphasis in three and four. And he's going to talk to them about how we live. As, so he, he's going to talk to them about living truth, living the resurrected life. And it's been said that our theology is not necessarily what we say, it's how we live. Our conduct really reveals our true theology because we live what we believe. And so he's going to shift from what we believe to how we live and our conduct, living the truth truth and action, uh, the practical emphasis. So that practical emphasis, he's going to examine the expression that is in our lives, how we express truth and application of true doctrine in the Christian life. He encourages and exhorts the Christian to live out their relationships to Christ with or in their daily lives. And he explained our inward relationship to Christ in chapters 1 and 2. Now he's going to turn to the outward expression and demonstration of that inward relationship with Christ. And Paul examines those outward evidences and those actions and activity that result from our relationship, that inward relationship, such as bearing fruit and putting on the new man that is renewed in the knowledge after the image that created him um, and 
of Colossians 3.10. And a quote here, paragraph B, first page, last, last sentence. The Christian life is a life hid or hidden with Christ in God, but it is still, Paul explains, a life lived out on earth. Curtis Vaughn to that. Okay. So that kind of brings us to the point, um, and I asked this last week, if Christ is supreme, Paul's really saying, is Christ supreme in your life? Is he first in your life? The Bible says in John 14, 15, if you love me, the Lord said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Are we keeping him? Are we following him? Are we keeping his commandments? Is Christ have the first place in our life? Now, paragraph C there, in chapters 3 and 4, there are not references anymore to the false teaching and the doctrinal error, but Paul does exhort them to live the Colossians and us, to live godly lives. And those godly lives are in direct opposition to the false teaching that they and the lives of the false teachers and those that follow him. Uh, because false, the false teachers, the things that they were teaching, follow these commandments, do these rituals. Those were unable to save or help the, the, uh, the Colossians at all because those things, the commandments, just like the law, could not restrain the flesh, couldn't keep us from sinning. So we should be living out our resurrected life, our risen life, and following the Lord out of love for him and also because we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. So a fundamental principle. So that's uh, Roman numeral 2, chapters Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So the closing verses of Colossians chapter 2. Did everybody see where we're at? Bottom of page 1, item A, under fundamental principle. The closing verses of Colossians in chapter 2 are directly related to the beginning verses of chapter 3. Paul asserts in Colossians 2.20, Since you died with Christ. And in Colossians 3.1, he then states, Since you've been raised with Christ. And he warns in Colossians 2.23 that the commandments and asceticism are a failure and everything else is a failure and unable to restrain the flesh and keep us from sinning, give us victory in the Christian life. The real remedy for restraining the flesh is found in the believer's union with Christ. And this union is possible for the believer because the believer died with Christ. And the believer also died to sin and the world's ways and the world's systems. Now in chapter 3, Paul teaches that along with Christ's death, believers are also to participate with his resurrection. That's being raised with Christ. The believer's union with Christ is both now both his frame of reference. And what does that mean? That means point of view, field of view, how we look at things. So, Christ is now our frame of reference. And the Christian, that's what his frame of reference is, is, is being risen with Christ. For his new life, that's his, the Christian's frame of reference. Also, being risen with Christ and his union with Christ is the believer's source of power. 
that can restrain the flesh in contrast to all these things that the false teachers and the world teaches uh, and enable the believer to walk worthy unto all pleasing like uh, Colossians 1.10 that I read. Uh, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So <clears throat> in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, teach the spiritual principle. And I'm reading another quote by Vaughn, the last, last sentence on page 1. These four verses then point to the believer's union with Christ as the root or basic or fundamental principle of the whole Christian life. It is the point of departure and the source of power that we all do. Okay, now turn to page two in the handout. Page two starts out with item B there. Paul emphasizes the following, since they have been raised, co-resurrected or raised together with Christ. Number one, and these correspond to the verses. Item one is verse one, item two is verse two, item three is verse three, and item four is verse four. Seek, seek heavenly things, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. That's verse one. Those, he's, 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 making, he's emphasizing four things in these verses. And the second thing is, set your affection, and we're going to look at that also involves the minds, Set your affections and minds on heavenly things, things above, not earthly things. And then item three, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And number four, you will also appear, be revealed with him in glory, uh, with Christ who is our life. Number four. Now, there's one quote that I did do last week, but I want to read it again because I think it really kind of sets, it's by MacArthur, and I think it kind of helps set the stage. It's not long. He says, and really that's the message of Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at it, verses 1 through 4. These verses are going to help us somehow to begin to think through this whole idea of getting out of the world system in our hearts and our minds, if not our, in our bodies until Jesus comes, at least in our hearts and minds so that we can minister. Colossians 3.1 says, If then, and this is our passage, If then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now there's a simple message, MacArthur says, in those verses. And the message is this. You ready? Get out of the world system. Divorce yourself from the world in terms of your spiritual attitudes, in terms of your inner man. Now, he's right down there with, with uh, J. Vernon McGee. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? Get out of the world. Get out of the world system in your mind and your hearts. If we can't be out of it in the body, the Lord wants us to be out of it in our minds and hearts. Okay, look at, look at the word quote uh, right after the four numbers at, uh, one, two, three, four, top of page two. 
I, I love this quote. H.C.G. Mule says, this is one of the golden paragraphs in the whole Bible to countless hearts. It is one of their peculiar special treasures. There is a celestial music for them and its very phrase and rhythm. Now, I haven't heard a course done on this, but somebody ought to do a course done on this scripture. Uh, so moving on, there are two things that Paul instructs us to do uh, in these four verses. Number one, uh, since we are risen with Christ, number one, to seek heavenly things, and number two, to set our affections and minds on heavenly things. And those are verse one and two. Now, we're to set our minds on heavenly things, not on things of the earth. And the first verse, seek those things above where Christ sits on the right hand of God, verse one. Paul exhorts the Colossians and us to desire, to strive for, and to look for spiritual interests, values, uh, qualities, views, things, and ideals. I added some stuff in there. Our attitudes and ambitions and thoughts, those things that drive our actions, what we do, our whole perspective should be laser focused on Christ so that we may be empowered, shaped, and enabled by our relationship, our union with Him to be like Christ. Uh, now, I, I gave an illustration. I'm not going to do the illustration in full, but I really love this illustration. I used the word laser focus. That's not a biblical term, uh, but I used it because I wanted to show we need to be focused sharply, fine-tuned on Christ because our success, that's where our success is, and through our union with him. And there's a device out there, you know, you have radar, radar detection and range is what radar is an abbreviation for. Now they have LIDAR, which is light uh, detection and ranging. And uh, I gave the illustration of how uh, cameras, some specialty cameras now use, la uh, use uh, pulse laser beams to actually help focus uh, on distant, on the edge of their capabilities on distant things where the regular focusing mechanism doesn't work, autofocusing me me mechanism. And they've done that very successfully and they use LIDAR to fly over an area where the land is all obscured by jungles and trees and vines and, you know, especially in Southeast Asia where all of that just incredible amount of jungle. And they be, they're able to see the ground without any, all of those vegetation just goes away. And they can see architecturally where things used to be uh, and studying uh, what civilizations uh, lived in the past there. And actually they can see where, the, where they had water channels and all of the other things. It really helps them focus on what they're looking for and helps all the things that detract, like the jungles, hundreds of years of jungles and things are, are gone. And we need to be laser focused on Christ so that we can be empowered, enabled by our relationship with him to be like him. And the spiritual things that are referenced, um, these, these spiritual things are referenced in Colossians 3.12. Um, Esther was going to read that for us. Thanks so much, Esther. Therefore, as 
as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you so much. Um, those are example of things, spiritual things that are above. And uh, no doubt Paul had that in mind when he uh, said this to the Colossians and us. Now, the fact that Christ sits on the right hand of God is a statement of his sovereignty and his supremacy and his unique position of power, privilege, and authority. You know, we still say, you know, that was, that's uh, the boss's right-hand person, you know. And, uh, um, and so we always, that's another metaphor for the person with the great authority that speaks for the boss or speaks for the Lord and or who is a manifestation and reveals God to us. So God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has unique position, power, and privilege, and authority. And I've written, certainly in such a position, Christ alone is able to intercede for us and supply all our needs. And his position, I skipped that sentence, his, uh, that phrase that reflects that, that sitting at the right hand of God reflects his status as a mediator. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be, uh, to be testified in due time. And so Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Now, let's look at the last sentence in paragraph one under B, and that is all your aims or goals, if you will, must center in heaven where reigns the Christ who has thus exalted you and throned on God's right hand. That's Lightfoot's quote. So let's look at the second verse, and this is new material. Set your affection or mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So we are to seek those things above. We're to set our affection and mind on things above. Now, the word affection is, if you don't like Greek, just put your fingers in your ears. <laughs> the, the word affection in, in the Greek is phroneo, which means to think, to set the mind on. And that's from Vines, Expository Dictionary. And Strong's Dictionary defines it as to exercise the mind, to be mentally disposed intensively, to interest oneself in, set the affection on, that's where the affection comes from, to be of the same mind, to direct one's mind to a thing, or have a new disposition. Uh, Paul 
directs us to set our affections and mind upon things above. What do we occupy our minds with? I know I talked to my uh, cousin for the first time in a long time. I called him to see if he got rained out in Fort Worth. He had seven inches in a day of rain. And he said, no, we had a drought. And the, the ground just absorbed it all. And so he was, I got him talking about football, and that's all I needed to do. I never said another word, uh, seeming. But it was, it was great. And uh, um, uh, he says, I'm a football purist. And I said, that's great. That is great. And so I, I, again, I use an opportunity to learn something. I asked him about the U.S. Football League and all these other things that are going on. And he told me. He knew. And uh, told me about the World Series and that they were playing. the Rangers. I didn't know that. He was telling me the Rangers were playing. So he, and this is not wrongfully so, but his mind then was occupied with those things that he loved, the sports, and especially football. And uh, he told me that they had stopped doing bend the knee and all that stuff, and I ought to start watching again. So I said, okay, maybe. So we're to occupy our minds with things above. That should be our interest. We should be laser focused on those things. And Paul says for us to set our affections and minds upon things above. We're to occupy our minds with those things above. And when we turn our eyes on the Lord Jesus, as the song says, the things of earth will go strangely dim. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I love that part of that song. And I uh, think about that when we sing it. As a principle, focusing our minds on our union with Christ and spiritual things above, that will lead us to conduct and a pattern of life that will honor God. Uh, Mole has a quote here. He says... Death with Christ was followed by resurrection with Christ. And so our lives are hid or hidden with Christ and God. And he says, there it lies and there it lives. Death and resurrection. And so if you would live it out, that is live out Christ's risen life, using this wonderful life power for spiritual triumph and service here on earth, you must go evermore to find it there. You must seek it. You must with him, be, you must with him continually dwell in steadfast recollection, set your minds on things above, simplest reliance and ceaseless secret reception of the divine supply. So, that's a hard quote, but it's really got a great message. Uh, this does involve more than thinking, and it means using our mind to direct our wills towards Christ so that our direction is Godward. So the compass needle of our minds should always be pointing to, directly to, and only to God. Now, I was a navigator on airplanes, and that was before GPS. I was pre-GPS. Pre, and it was, if we had had a GPS, we would have been in heaven. We had some inertial navigation, but it wasn't real reliable because it was military. And uh, <laughs> it, would, it would go astray 
even airplanes that had three of them, they would kind of have to, they would, they would go astray. So my job was, where are we going? Okay, and then I would find that place, and then I would look at the direction we need to go. What are the core, what's the course we need to follow to get there? And what are the milestones? And what do I need to avoid along that course? What are the pitfalls and problems? The mountains, uh, the uh, bad areas of weather. What, what do I need to avoid along that course? And then what do we need to do to get there? We need all the things we need to get there. So I would have a lot of references to help me with those things and areas to avoid because I may be doing exercises or there may be something else going. So there's whole columns of air that you're not to fly through. You're supposed to go around. So I, my job was, where are we going? What's the direction? Are we getting off course and once we're in the air? Are we, doing, are we having problems? Do we have enough gas to get there? <laughs> okay, and, and then when will we get there and how are we getting there? So as Christians, our, I, I looked all the time at the heading we were on and then I would figure out all of the things, the wind and how that was affecting us and what direction we had to point the airplane to go down that course line. Because the airplane doesn't go where it pointed because it wind blows it. They call it uh, deviation. It just it gets, uh, gets blown by the wind off course. So all of those things. So my goal was to keep the airplane pointed toward the destination or the next milestone. And our job, is, in the compass of our minds, we need to be pointing directly to and only to God. And a, a gentleman named Edie said, the sure safeguard against seeking things below is, to set, is not to set the mind, appoint them, uh, 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 the, the mind on them and upon them. Because if we, you know, have you ever noticed, and Cindy knows this because she calls me a distracted driver. So she'll be going like this. For all of you at home, she's going like this. Okay. So when... When, you, when I'm driving, if I look this way, the car goes this way. If I look that way, it goes this way. Now, if I look behind, it doesn't go backwards, but it goes some other direction than, than straight down the track. So we've got to pay attention. Our minds need to be focused on where we're going and looking at our, that we are moving towards God and only towards God. So we want to be uh, attentive to that and not get off course and... Uh, not deviating from where we should, no diversions. Uh, look where we steer or steer where we look. Um, Curtis Vaughn has said, um, the things that are upon earth might include material wealth, worldly honor, power, pleasures, and so forth. To make such things the goal of life and the substance of contemplation is unworthy of one who has been raised with Christ and anticipates sharing in his eternal glory. Now, I had a position, my last, last job before I got out of uh, and retired um, was uh, I, I had a position where uh, I sent an email to hundreds, four or five hundred people. And uh, also, I, I uh, had uh, um, 
I did a job fair with, uh, along with a lot of other people. And so sometimes when I'd go in and, and, and they would say my name and introduce me because people didn't know me and uh, in some of these meetings, people go, oh, yeah, that's the guy that has the email network, you know. Or, and so you get that recognition, you know. And, you know, you can get used to that. People saying, oh, hey, I'm so glad to see you're a great guy. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, we need to set our affection on things above, not on these things on earth, self-glory and power, pleasures, worldly honor, recognition. We need to be focused on the Lord and not get off course. Let's look at note the, the, the indented part at the bottom of page two is where we're at. Bottom of page two. Do you see that note? Verse 1 and 2 are related and closely connected. Verse 1, this principle of Christian living, of seeking those things above, as described in verse 1, reflect the goal and aim in the Christian life of centering our minds on the heavenly, spiritually, and godly things that enable us to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So our goal is to get, our, our goal is to serve the Lord. And our goal is to keep our minds on God, Godward and towards Christ and seek, seek those, uh, be in the heavenlies. And so the question is, are we seeking Christ? Are we, focused, are, are we focused on Christ? Are we centering our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ and the heavenlies? Verse 2, okay, these are, these are related. So verse 2 says, setting our mind and affections, whereas the first one is the, reflects the goal and aim. The second one, provides the means, the way, the how, the inward focus to accomplish this goal. How do we, how do we uh, seek Christ? We set our affections upon him. And setting our affections and mind on things above creates and establishes a proper focus for our lives, Remember, being laser focused, and our attention on the things of God, focusing on Christ and our relationship with him. So, the question then becomes, where do you, where do I, set our affections and minds? Where do we focus our minds? Are we focused on family? Are we focused on career? Are we focused on athletic pursuits? Are we focused on TV? I talked to Bruce the other day. <laughs> I actually got a text from Bruce, and he's saying, hey, listen, we went to this event, so we went out behind the church and we all shot a TV. So I said, could you explain that? And he said, yeah, we, we, everybody has a, I guess, I don't know if they had real weapons or not, but they had something to shot projectiles and they had a TV and they do it annually and they all went out and they shot a TV. And I thought that was really funny. And, uh, and, and the, obviously the implication is, you, you know, you don't have your mind and focus on, on entertainment. And so shoot the TV in your life. You know, don't shoot mine, but shoot yours. Okay. Okay. So, okay, everybody's laughing too long at that. I heard that. Everybody kept laughing. Okay. All right. Where do we, where do we set our affections, though? 
And where do we focus our minds? Are we focused on heavenly things? Are we focused on earthly things? Let's turn to page. Now we're on page three. Everybody on page three? Page three. Okay, there are three reasons or motivations for this principle and its requirements. And we're going to look at verse one, three, and four. And Okay, number one, the number one reason we should... Uh, uh, we should focus on this principle and the motivation to do that is our union with Christ and his resurrection. Paul points out that Christians were raised with Christ in union with him. Since, since they are and we are raised with him, we're to seek those things above. And the if there is in the, is in the mean sense, it's con not conditional. It assumes a factual nature of being raised with Christ. So this has the meaning of, were you not raised with Christ to life with Christ? Were you not raised to life with Christ? Now this life is now a life consistent with Christ because it is He that gave it to us. Now, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I am not going to read that. Um, all. Uh, you don't have to turn there. It starts out, and you hath he made alive or quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, and which in which in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit now worketh in the sons or children of disobedience. And he goes on and talks about that life. And then Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead spiritually in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and it goes on that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians 2, 8, 9 follows there. And it says, for verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what I want to do is read uh, a quote from MacArthur that addresses this that I think is really helpful. He says, in Ephesians, Apostle Paul tells us to leave the world. He tells us to take our hearts and hopes and thoughts and get them out of here. And you know how he does it? By telling us that everything we really want is up there anyway. In heaven he's talking about. He says, for example, and you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Where? And the heavenlies. He tells us in chapter 3, verse 10, that the angels are there in the heavenlies. And this is Ephesians. He tells us, so the angels are in the heavenlies. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 20, Christ is there in the heavenlies. He tells us in chapter 2, verse 6, that our position is there. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's where I just read Ephesians 2, 6. And, and excuse me, as if to say to us, Look, the blessings are there. The angels are there. The Lord is there. Your seed is there. What are you doing messing around down here? And he actually said that. 
<laughs> and that's what I say to you. What are we doing messing around down here? We should, our, our, our minds and hearts and our affections should be in the heavenlies. Now, he goes on to say, and that's really the message of Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at it verses 1 to 4. These verses are going to help us somehow to begin to think through this whole idea of getting out of the world system in our hearts and minds, if not in our bodies, until Jesus comes. At least in our hearts and minds so that we can minister. And I read that before. Okay, so that was the end of that. All right. That was a short quote. Okay, now, I got quote. It won't hurt you to hear that again, though. Okay. Okay, number two, uh, the second of the three reasons for this principle and its requirements uh, is our union with Christ in his death and our life being hid with Christ and God. That's verse three. The reason for seeking and setting the mind on heavenly things is repeated and summarized from Colossians 2.20. Here, it means that all that is alien to Christ should be alien to us. And this is a quote that I had intended to read. I read the right quote, but I, I uh, read part of the previous one. Here, Paul said, uh, rather Colossians said, excuse me, uh, we, uh, the, uh, uh, MacArthur says, the moment you came to Christ, when you were dead and spiritually in sins before salvation, when you were made alive together with Christ, when you were saved by grace, you were instantaneously raised, and ra raised up and given a place in the heavenlies in Christ. Spiritually speaking, you ascended. Your conscious mind is occupied with Christ. You entered, as it were, into the Holy of Holies. The veil was ripped. And you walked into the presence of God. In Philippians chapter 3, we find the same thought in verse 20 where he says, For our citizenship, our manner of living or our life, if you will, our existence is in heaven. That, that verse says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Now, you say, well, what are you talking about? We're not there yet. I'm, I'm right at Elmira Baptist Church. I'm not in heaven. No, but uh, though our bodies aren't there, this is to be the occupation of our mind, the heavenlies. When you were saved, he says, when you were saved positionally, you were taken out of the world. In the words of John, who is he that has overcome the world? Or what is it that overcomes the world? Even our faith. When you put your faith in Christ, you overcame the world. When you receive the divine power that came into salvation, the great and precious promises, when you were made a partaker of the divine nature, you escaped the corruption that is in the world. You were transformed. You transcended the world. Your conversation, your manner of life is in the heavenlies. It's a great reality. So for every one of us as believers has entered into a genuine spiritual relationship with the God of the universe, Christ at his right hand, the Holy Spirit, in the heavenlies. So the moment you were saved, you transisted the world system. The moment you were saved, God granted you the capacity to enter and live consciously in his presence. Then he says, spirituality then 
is a heavenly kind of life. That means that as Paul says here in Colossians 3, it's a life that focuses on things above, not on earthly things, focusing on things above. It's a preoccupation with the divine. It's an upward look, if you will. And we could, we could talk about all kinds of scriptures to relative, relative to this. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you want one example, it is where you continually gaze on the glory of the Lord and are transformed by the Holy Spirit into His image. Now, how can you gaze on the glory of the Lord unless you've got your mind in heaven? That's a good point. Unless you're thinking about God, unless you're thinking about Christ, unless you're thinking about the Spirit of God. This chapter, this little section here that begins it, is called, is a call to true spirituality. It's a call to the risen life. And true spirituality, true spirituality, I'll say it again, true spirituality is setting your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. It's getting divorced from the world's system. End of the quote. I know that was long, but I thought it was really good to help us see what he's talking about. Our death with Christ is followed by a resurrection with him. Back to the handout. Number two, last sentence. Our, our, our death with Christ is followed by our resurrection with him and our lives are hidden with Christ and God. And this is a call to a true spirituality. So note, hidden with Christ and God has two aspects. There's the aspect of secure, safe, deposited. The believer's life is divinely secured beyond any disruption with Christ and God. And doubly safe with Christ in God. It's not only in Christ, but it's Christ in God. Also, it suggests that our life lies in the invisible realm now, but will be openly revealed in the future as reflected in verse uh, 4. And uh, I have a short quote by F.F. F. Bruce who's, who says... Um, You died with Christ, now you live with him. Your life is bound up with his. That is to say, your life is laid up in safekeeping with him securely, hidden in God. The world cannot see your real life at present, just as it cannot see Christ. A day is coming, however, when Christ will be revealed in glory, and since Christ himself is our true life, you will be revealed with him and share his glory. So that leads us to number three, reason and motivation for this principle, our anticipation of appearing with Christ, who is our life and glory. So this is the anticipation, reading from paragraph three, this is the anticipation and prospect of Christ's future return or manifestation. The Greek word for appearing here is fan or ho Okay. No, I can't pronounce Greek. Okay. It means to manifest and emphasize his open display at his return with a manifestation of his true character. And Abbott Smith, another reference dictionary, says phanero'o means to make visible, clear, make manifest, or known. 
We as believers will be made manifest with him. Christ is our life because he is literally the source and essence of our spiritual life and physical life. So there's three things here. He created us, giving us a life. He saved us, giving us freedom from sin. And he keeps us by growing us in grace and the abundant spiritual life. And I really love that. Um, his abiding presence and power within us enable us to grow and mature as we reflect his image and our Christ-likeness. And uh, another quote from H.C.G. Uh, Mole, actually just a sentence. He said, you shall be manifested with him and he shall be manifested in you. See that you use him in your, as your life today and the uplifting hope of such a tomorrow. So I've got a note down there. See the last thing written on page three. Note, we are to live N-O-W. Now. When? Now. In view of our future life with him in glory. And so the question is, are you doing that? Are you living? Are you, do you have your focus on Christ? And uh, one last quote, and it's by MacArthur. And uh, he says, if you ha still have Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 4 open up, look at those verses a minute. He says, now, if you notice the first four verses, I'll show you something interesting. He says, in verse 1, it says, with Christ. In verse 1, it says, where Christ. In verse 3, it says, with Christ. In verse 4, it says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, you shall also appear. There it is again, with him in glory. That him there is Christ. So five times, with Christ, where Christ, with Christ, with Christ, with him. The emphasis is pretty clear. Christ five times in four verses. We're to focus on Christ. And he goes on to say, and this is really important, having Christ is having everything. He's the center of our resurrection life and the conscious preoccupation of the believers to be on Christ. We're to be laser focused on Christ. That's what it means when it says, seek the things that are above. Get your preoccupation on Christ. And he says, one, two, three, four, five, six words. He's the center of your life. He's the center of your life. So that's the final question. Is Christ the center of your life? Or do you have other things up there? So I'm guilty of putting other things in the center of my life. And I need to put the Lord Jesus Christ at the center. And we need to put the Lord Jesus Christ at the center. Final questions. Anybody have a question? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, this wonderful passage. What a great passage this is to look at. Lord, help us to set our affections on... On, on, on the Lord Jesus Christ or in our mind and heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be preoccupied with him and not with those things which are on earth, which are earthy and unimportant. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us to do that. Your spirit would help us to live for Christ and be like him and serve him and honor him. I pray that you would... Uh, Bless the service to follow. We pray that uh, our worship would honor you. We pray for those to come uh, that have not come to church before, that have been invited. Uh, we pray that you would bring people that need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that, Lord, we pray that you would 
uh, we would see people saved and accept Christ and people uh, commit to you and join the church. And we pray, Father, that you would bless this church. Pray that you would give us a, a wonderful day that we might honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.